from WUFTFM. This is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. Now, those of you who have been listening to this program for a long time will recall that over the course of our, say, 12 years on the air, we've had many discussions about careers in veterinary medicine. And today is one of those days as well. There are many options for people who would like to have a career working helping animals. And today I have three guests from the University of Florida College of Medicine, and we're going to talk about their paths to working in the field of veterinary medicine. And I hope you can stay tuned because Animal Airwaves Live is coming up after this news from NPR. From WUFTFM, this is Animal Airwaves Live, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm glad you could join us here for this live program this Friday, and I'm really happy to welcome to the program today three guests, so this is uh, rather unprecedented, and these guests from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine are here to talk with me about the topic of careers in veterinary medicine. So I want to welcome Ashley Campos. Margaret Gonzalez and Leandra Singleton. Uh, thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, well, yeah, so, I mean, you all maybe have come to this career in a different way, and that probably makes sense because there's so many different possible careers in the field of veterinary medicine, and there stands to reason that with as many people who are involved, there's just as many paths to taking this career. Well, can we talk a little bit about what each of you does and maybe how you got where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Ashley. I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Currently, I am the supervisor of the anesthesia department at the College of Veterinary Medicine, and I started out as a zookeeper um, when I graduated uh, with biology at USF. Right afterwards, I became a zookeeper at a big cat sanctuary, found out that I actually wanted to go towards the medicine route. So went to school through St. Pete online, became a veterinary technician, um, and got hired at a local practice here. And from there, got all the experience I needed to be a vet tech. I actually got a job offer out of the country So I went uh, over to Africa for a year working as a veterinary technician at Cheetah Conservation Fund. I came back here to work at the University of Florida in the anesthesia department and from then got promoted. So a lot of your um, sort of adventures in veterinary medicine have been informed by the fact that you were doing uh, work as a zookeeper. So you would have worked with species that would be sort of outside of the range of many neighborhood veterinary clinics. Um, but that allowed you to even, you know, be stationed somewhere else in in an interesting, in an interesting place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every place that has animals needs medical care, um, and veterinary technicians are very valuable in those aspects. Yeah. And let me ask you this. I mean, when you were uh, younger, had being a zookeeper been on your radar? Was that something you had wanted to do? Yes. I have always wanted to work with animals ever since I was a kid. Always. 
Yeah. Great. Um, uh, uh, let's go to you, Margaret. What did you want to do when you were a kid? Was it work with animals? Yes. I, I've always wanted to work with animals. Um, I was in 4-H growing up, and so kind of actually working with livestock was the beginning of my passion. Um, and in high school, I got my first job at a clinic, a general practice. Um, and then I started college. And un- when I was doing my first semester, I went to an open house actually at St. Petersburg College. Um, they have a really beautiful um, campus just dedicated to their program. Um, and I decided that's what I wanted to go to school for. Um, and so after graduating, I worked at several general practices. And I technicians at general practices um, wear many hats, and they have to be able to do many different things. Um, and one of the things that I just really fell in love with was anesthesia. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to do full time. Um, and... Before I started doing anesthesia full-time, I also worked for Southeastern Guide Dogs. Like Ashley said, any place that has animals needs veterinary care. And we actually had our own clinic with two veterinarians and several technicians. Um, And so that was one part of my career that I'm still really passionate about and feel very connected. Um, I definitely saw the human-animal bond just witnessed through that job on a whole completely different level that really has just um, really fueled my love for this field and just wanting to stay in it. Um, And then for the last six years, I've just been exclusively mainly doing anesthesia and have been here at UF for the last four. Great. That's super. And I can totally imagine what you're saying in terms of the bond that human beings form with an animal that they need, really, to help live full lives, right? I mean, these are animals that they trust completely. Yes, I definitely have talked to, so we did service dogs, we did guide dogs. I've definitely, like, personally talked to and heard many stories where handlers just told me about a time that their dog literally saved their life. They would have died if they didn't listen to their dog. And that's definitely very powerful. And just to see the change that they go through from really they gain so much independence um, when they are matched with a guide dog, um, people who are scared to even go outside of their house for a one-minute walk, they now can go outside of their house, um, you know, and feel the sun on their skin, and they feel safe. Yeah. I mean, it's miraculous. Uh, So thank you. Thank you uh, for telling me that. Uh, Leandra, tell me about your path um, to your veterinary career. Yeah. uh, Like many of us, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, When I got to upper level chemistry, we did not become friends. So I wasn't (laughs) going to be a very competitive applicant Um, and still loved working with animals and rerouted to go to technician school. And uh, I'm actually from California, and they had a job posting at UF, and that's how I ended up here. What I did not know at the time, though, was how much I'd fall in love with teaching. So as much as I'm passionate for animals and helping them through, you know, some sick and critical times, um, I have some extensive background in emergency and critical care, and now I'm learning more about anesthesia, but... um, 
I fell in love with teaching and now I'm pursuing a route within vet med to go ahead and teach others. That's fantastic. And is, is this something, though, that's possible because you're at a large veterinary uh, hospital? Uh, would that be possible if you were, say, at, um, you know, just a general practice? Uh, I think more and more now it's becoming more precedence for others to be more in a teaching role as well as in a working role. But absolutely being in the academic setting has really inspired a lot of teaching everywhere you look, every department, whether it be students or new doctors, interns, residents, all of that. So absolutely. Now you mentioned that some of the coursework that is required in the pursuit of a degree, a doctorate in veterinary medicine, uh, is is challenging, and this is should surprise nobody. I mean, you yes, know, be, right. um, getting a, a kind of medical degree of any kind is not something that is is easy. Uh, you know, but the wonderful thing about this is that the the veterinary profession has tracks for people of all manner of academic backgrounds. Can you can you speak a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so you don't necessarily need any sort of um, degrees or whatnot to be a teacher or a mentor. Um, there are a handful of individuals that have been very impactful in my life growing up in this career, and uh, they didn't have any formal teaching or whatnot. Um, I think it's just, you know, you learn more, do more. We have a saying that you learn one, do one, or see one, do one, teach one is how it goes. For example, if you're placing a catheter. Um, so there's many opportunities to be taught and then also go ahead and teach from there. Oh, wait. Oh, so C, C1 is watch someone do something. Correct. Then you do it yourself, mm-hmm. and then you teach somebody else how to do it. Yes, and that's uh, our theory. That, I mean, that's a really great policy to have uh, because it just perpetuates the learning process for, for everybody, and then everybody gets to participate in it. Um, uh, Margaret or Ashley, did either of you have um, any sort of uh, unique path to... to you know, academically to finding your way to becoming a veterinary technician? Yes. Yeah, so at, um, at the job that I worked before I came to UF, uh, we had preceptors come from several different colleges. I worked with a couple from Texas A&M and Oklahoma State University because I was working at a practice in Oklahoma City at the time. And I really loved working with those students. Um, It was kind of an opportunity for me to kind of like slow down and talk through and explain and teach. And when you're working at a very busy practice, you're doing, you know, myself as an anesthesia surgery tech and another surgeon, we were doing anywhere from like four to eight cases a day. Um, It was nice just to be able to explain and teach. Then I kind of realize, oh, you know, you realize how much knowledge you do have and it's worth sharing. And I think that there is a definitely, there can be a gap between academia and general practice. And so one of my goals was to pursue and gain more knowledge in this area and then hopefully help bridge that gap. And uh, with you, Ashley, I mean, had you, uh, you know, you had been eager to work with animals since you were a child. Did you have any particular idea of how you wanted that to be? Was it zookeeper or were you looking forward to, to trying out 
different things? It had originally always was zookeeper. I always wanted to work with wildlife. Um, I had my goal as a kid, I remember, was having a stuffed animal of every single species on the planet, um, not realizing that there's millions of species. Um, that wasn't going to be possible, but it had always been a zookeeper aspect. Um, but events at the facility I was working at led me to really, truly believe that my path was the medicine part because that's how I needed to help. Um, the educational aspect was there also, but as Margaret said, like there's veterinary students, there's veterinary technicians, students, people who want to be close to the animals and want to help the animals. And the bottom line is the animals are the most important thing. So if anything that you can do to promote their health and well-being, that's where I want it to be. Yeah. Uh, so this is a question that I'll sort of allow you all to to distribute amongst yourselves. But once, you know, you had had been thinking about this career, specifically as like a veterinary technician, um, was it was it difficult to find a program? Was it difficult to kind of proceed through that program? Mm. So there's um, uh, quite a few programs, AVMA accredited programs. So in order to become a certified or credential technician, you it can depend on the state law, um, but generally you'll want to go to an AVMA accredited program and it's usually two years, but you have to have prerequisites to apply. Um, and then after graduating that, you have to take national boards. And so that's kind of the route of becoming a credential technician. Ashley and I both went to the same school, but she did an exclusively online um, experience. And so that would require you to be in a clinic and actually working with the doctors at your practice in order to do like these technical skills and they would have to sign off on it. Um, I did kind of a hybrid program. I went to the school, but I was also working in a clinic almost full time throughout school. Um, I will say is very it was a very challenging program. We my first semester I had eight classes, um, and I think pretty much all the semesters it was eight to six classes. So it was a challenging program. Did not have a lot of free time, but it was definitely very rewarding, and I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, Ashley, the online program that you did, I mean, the good news for you is that you had already had some experience, right, working with animals. Yes. And so in terms of making that work and, and finding the opportunities to get in a clinic, was that was that challenging for you or you were already doing it anyway? Uh, my goal was when I was applying to different clinics, I told them right off the bat, like, look, I'm in veterinary technician program. I am going to need time set aside to complete these skills. And they were completely okay with that. The owner of the practice I had applied to, he was actually very excited for me to learn and do these skills because that would just make his practice more valuable. Uh, that Great. That's a great point. So uh, amongst all of you, was it the case that, have you found it to be the case that overall within your profession, there is a kind of culture that values learning and continued education and continued training? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, as time goes on, there's more studies and research and more 
um, information that we acquire through all these different avenues. And so there's a constant need for us to be continuing to learn both on the job and um, from other professionals in the field. So part of our um, licensure requirement is to have continuing education or CE credits that we need in order to maintain our licensure. Um, so going to conferences is not uncommon. Um, so that way we can, you know, attend lectures from other individuals that work at other universities or other specialty hospitals and uh, learn how they do things and what sort of research that they're working on and what they find in their studies so that we can stay up to date with all of the new things that are coming out. There's always new medications, new um, ways to do a procedure that we've always done in a certain way and it may be better for the patient or faster outcome or whatnot. So absolutely. Yeah. And the the folks that you have worked with, have they've it sounds like they've been encouraging in terms of your pursuing these uh, these courses and this extra training. Uh, would that be the same at a smaller practice? Would they have the ability to uh, even do without you for a little while so while you kind of sought uh, extra training? Well, the practice that I worked at um, did promote training, not to the extent of sending us to conferences all the time, just because of uh, a money type of thing. But if the practices that I have experience with, if they had the funds to send their technicians to CE conferences or allow them to learn, they absolutely would because they, they have learned that having a certified and educated technician in their facility only makes their medicine better and their trust level with the doctors and the clients just promotes healthier, happier patients and that promotes more income. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's just kind of being pragmatic as much as anything. Well, I think here that we are, although having just begun scratching the surface of this topic, uh, we're we're on our way to kind of understanding about the opportunity for careers in veterinary medicine, veterinary medicine, particularly as a vet tech. And I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM, and we will be back with more right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live. I'm Dana Hill. My guests today from the UF College of Veterinary Medicine are Margaret Gonzalez, Leandra Singleton, and Ashley Campos. And we're talking about careers in veterinary medicine. And when we left off, we'd, we'd learned uh, quite a bit uh, about these ladies' paths towards becoming vet techs. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you all about and, uh, you know, I, I hope you'll understand why I'm asking the question is that some people might assume that there is a substantial financial requirement to pursue a career as a veterinarian, that is the, the you know, doctor of veterinary medicine. Um, and that is probably, that's probably the case. I think it is probably not inexpensive uh, to get your, uh, your, what is it, DVM, but is it, is it prohibitively expensive to get certified to become a veterinary technician? Um, 
not as not nearly as much as it is to become a veterinarian. Um, the cost of St. Pete, it's actually listed on their website um, how much the tuition is. Um, I don't, it, it was 10 years ago, so I'm not exactly sure how much it cost at that time, but it was completely manageable for me to pay my tuition, uh, pay my rent, pay my bills, work full time um, at the dollar amount of a veterinary technician. It was completely feasible. Yeah, uh, that's good. Is that the same case for 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 you both? Um, as far as cost, yes, but I do recall having a difficult time getting in because the program was so sought after. Yeah. Um, and in-person technician schools, at least where I was from, were far and few in between. So I had to wait, I think, two semesters before I can get in just to the entry-level courses to begin there building upon that. And the, it was a two-year program as well. Yeah, and then did the waiting period dissuade you in any way from pursuing this career path? I can almost imagine that some people, if the wait was especially long, would think to themselves, oh, you know, this is going to take forever. Yeah. uh, Actually, I was working in the field, um, started out as a volunteer and then a technician assistant, like many of us do to start gaining experience. Uh, So I was already working in the field, so I had an income, so it wasn't the holdup of starting school wasn't going to impact, you know, me to start working, which was good and may or may not be unique. But um, getting experience there helped fuel my desire to go to school because I really enjoyed that atmosphere and learning, you know, as an assistant, how to do certain things and watching the more senior technicians and you know, I want to be one of them one day type of thing. So Yeah. Now, Margaret, you mentioned that the course load was heavy. And now I uh, also went to St. Pete College for a while when I was a much younger fellow. And I can recall that my time was pretty laid back. You know, I took maybe four courses and it wasn't, it, it wasn't difficult. Uh, but you're, you know, Getting certified as a veterinary technician is a completely different thing, and working in that field outside of school is a is a big part of it. It's something that's going to really facilitate your success. How did you How did you negotiate the the time commitment? Uh, it's you said that you didn't have a lot of free time. Was that difficult? Um, yes. So definitely spent a lot of, I remember one semester thinking that I had spent every single Friday night doing homework. Um, the, so part of the reason why there were many classes is to meet the requirements of the program. And so I had a lot of classes that were one credit classes, Oh yes. but I will tell you that uh, some of the classes that were one credits are some of the hardest classes I've ever taken. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the equal amount of work as a three credit class. Um, I think that I was, it, w- it was challenging, but it was temporary, right? And part of the reason why I wanted to go to St. Pete College is it, it was also their campus program was also difficult to get accepted into. I want to say they had a lower than a 50% acceptance rate. And you had to have, at the time when I went, I think you had, a th- had to have a 3.5 GPA 
to get into the program. I'm not sure what it is now, but I do remember it was challenging. I was very happy when I got in. I had to submit like a video interview and I remember being very nervous. Um, yeah. Well, I mean that in and of itself, the whole admission process then sounds like it, 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 it might give one anxiety, uh, especially if they're as selective as that. I mean, a 3.5 GPA is like, this is like a solid B. It's like, yeah. you don't have a, you don't have a lot of, op- I mean, that's mostly A's. You get a couple B's and, and you'd still be maybe make 3.5. Um, but then the, admissions process, if they're able to be as selective as they are, uh, this is going to tie into a couple things. One, that, yes, that maybe means that the quality of candidate that they can choose uh, becomes that much higher, which is maybe better for the veterinary profession as a whole, perhaps. But the other thing that it does, though, is it seems like it might create uh, fewer fewer opportunities, right? Because, well, if they're being so selective, that means that there's a group of people out there who want to choose this path, but they've kind of hit the wall. And here's where I want to ask y'all, it is something that I've heard in talking with some of your colleagues at the UF School of Veterinary Medicine, that there are a shortage of professionals in this field. Do you think that the credentialing process, the training process, is part of what is reducing, or if not reducing, at least limiting the number of professionals who do the kind of work that you do? Um, so I think part of the reason why they were so selective is there were only there was only so much room, right, for so many students. And they accepted um, a class in the every fall and winter semester. Um, so I don't think that that necessarily is a problem because you can also choose an online route. Um, I think that one of the issues with the shortage in our field is retaining technicians. Um, I graduated in 2016, and a very large amount of my classmates have already left the field. Wow. Um, you, you all are nodding your heads. That's something that you've observed too. Uh, well, you know, I was going to save this for later, but let's just let's just dive into that. I mean, there, you're talking about a profession in which compassion fatigue is a real thing. And, and for those of you who maybe haven't heard the term, I mean, for folks who work in the caring professions, especially in a profession where one is witness to sorrow and death, and one sees the struggles of some people to perhaps afford the treatments that might benefit their pets and have to deal with the kind of suffering and loss, um, the long hours, the the pace of it, just the tempo of the work is probably pretty quick. You're, you're seeing a number of patients every day, um, and you're trying to move as quickly as you can because you know, people can be impatient. And that can probably all add up to a great deal of job stress. How do you handle it? And, and have I correctly identified some of the challenges? Absolutely. Yes. Unfortunately. I mean, so how do you cope? I mean, y- y'all, y'all are hanging on. So what is it that, that you do that, that helps you get through it? I mean, it could just be your personalities. 
Uh, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I relate with a lot of what you've just said. Um, I was working in emergency and critical care for seven and a half years before I made a transition to anesthesia. And that was a move that I made because I feel like I had become burnt out. Um, I felt that I wasn't, I'm not going to say being challenged because every day is its own challenge in itself, pending what you're experiencing that given day. But um, I felt like I wasn't growing um, anymore within the area that I was working in. Um, So for me, I made a change and now I feel like there's a lot more to learn <laughs> um, with the area that I'm in now, and, and that's been refreshing. Um, but one thing that you didn't mention about this burnout and retention whatnot is that um, I think there's a disconnect with the outside community um, as what your when you take your pet to the vet, um, you know, the nursing knowledge and care and skills that goes into that and Um, appreciation as a technician is something that is so simple, but from the outside, a lot of clients, you know, they're experiencing a devastating event, but, um, you know, often sometimes they cope with blame or, or whatnot, and, and that doesn't feel good. And so you feel like, man, I spent all this time, I had one-on-one care this whole day with this patient and we still lost him. Um, and so not only do you feel terrible that you've lost a patient, but then you're receiving, you know, these unkind comments or whatnot from the the families. And so that is pretty impactful there. Yeah. Okay. So here's where uh, I can say something probably that y'all don't want to say. And that is just, (laughs) I I would just ask everybody to um, not be that way. (laughs) Just (laughs) look, everybody who is uh, caring for your pet is trying his or her best and nobody wants a bad outcome and you know but when it happens you know consider too that the people who have been trying to help your pet have been doing so earnestly and that this is painful for them too and then you know just think about how you speak to people um there's 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 just no need to be rude um because it's yeah, uh, nobody asked for it. So, I mean, think about this. When when you're, you're facing a scenario in which, even in the best of days, oh, okay, so maybe it's just a, like a well visit, although y'all are, some of you are in anesthesia, so these are not pets that are just coming in uh, to get their, you know, uh, just have a normal thing. Although dental cleanings probably involve, are you're probably doing dental cleanings. Okay, so there you go. So this this could just be a well visit, and it could be a dental checkup, and some anesthesia is involved. But it could also be intense surgeries. These could be these could be like life or death operations that these animals are undergoing. And you know these are, yeah, these are stressful times for everybody. Uh, and you know, but you're. You're in a client-facing position, right? I mean, are you all you're interacting with the clients? We aren't directly in our department interacting with the clients, but we are interacting with those who interact with the clients, the doctors, the students, the other technicians. So we can still get some of that 
those feelings from them because they tell us what's going on and we try to accommodate as best as we can. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So previously in all of my jobs, I had a lot of FaceTime with clients. And then where currently, like Ashley said, we don't have a lot of interaction with clients and which can be nice, but it can also be sad because it, it is something that I did enjoy because the really kind, great clients are very, it's awesome. Um, but we will still sometimes interact with clients and it's usually not a happy thing. Um, there's, we've done a surgery or we've done an imaging case or something and it's usually to meet them to euthanize their patient. Yeah. And so it's usually a sad um, experience. Yeah. Uh, and and that is something that I imagine you all understood going in, right? Yes. And veterinary profession is not just sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, that there are hard days. And you may have these wild swings where you go from a case that has been successful and the animal is well and everybody is happy to a case in which it ends up the worst possible way. And if we've already discussed how people can form profound bonds with their pets, even when those mm-hmm. pets are not working animals, the the kind of feeling of loss, you know, even though this isn't your pet, you still feel it in a, in a big way. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, one of the best things we can do in our profession is, you know, to take their pain away. But no matter what, it's still a living, breathing being. Right. I mean, we're connected with all of our patients. Yeah. So, I mean, you all knew, so you all knew that intellectually, as you were going to pursue this field, that that was a part of it. Have, has that part been manageable or, or does the, the, the effects that you see the client's feeling, is that what's making it harder? I think it can definitely be a little bit of both Um, because it's never an easy thing and grief and loss are just difficult. Um, But I think sometimes it can be hard when there are financial constraints and it could be something that could be fixed. Um, But unfortunately, that's not an option. And so I think in those situations, those are the cases that really I have a harder time dealing with right. personally. Uh, uh, sure. I've talked to some of your colleagues before, and I won't, I won't name any names, but uh, and I've talked to probably hundreds of your colleagues over the course of doing this show for so long. And the truth is that some of them have told me many, many times that it hurts for them to be blamed for something when it is a, a financial issue. And we all wish that that it could be free, right? But it, but it can't. Um, and that, that must be really hard. Well, let me ask you this. For, for folks who are listening to this program and, and have considered a field in veterinary medicine, maybe even as a vet tech, uh, are, there, are there paths in becoming a veterinary technician that would involve less of these harrowing cases, less of these emotionally fraught cases, that you, you'd be doing things that were a bit less 
uh, dynamic or had a, a little bit, um, you know, uh, the pace was just a little bit different and, and maybe, you know, less, less emotionally demanding? That one's hard to answer. I will tell you, when I worked at Southeastern Guide Dogs, I never did a single euthanasia <laughs> in the year I was there. So there are definitely paths out there um, that are, I think, a little bit not quite as stressful and just emotionally challenging. They, there are quite a few paths out there yeah. as well. I, I mean, are you able to identify potential solutions to some of what is making it so hard to retain people? If, if a lot of it is the stress level, and granted, some of it just can't be eliminated, um, but what could change if change is at all possible that would make folks who are doing this more likely to stay doing it? I mean, the easiest one to answer that is going to be finances, making sure that your technicians are paid appropriately, um, especially in their area of living. You know, higher cost of living, you got to pay your people better. Um, what a lot of the misconceptions are is, you know, when people go to the doctor, most of the time they're going to have an insurance card. They pay a copay, you know, and then it's out of sight, out of mind until you get a bill possibly if the insurance doesn't cover it, right? right? The veterinary field has not caught up to that yet. It's getting there, but a lot of the money that pays, you know, nurse salaries, human nurse salaries is coming from that, you know, insurance. Um, there is pet insurance out there. It has not, in my opinion, taken hold just yet. But a lot of the issues is money for the retention, making sure your technicians have the ability to grow and not being short-staffed. But that's just a vicious circle. Yeah, right. I mean, because, because the more money for veterinary technicians means higher bills for clients. And, and look, and two, you know, just a couple of years ago, there was this devastating pandemic that probably made y'all's jobs even harder. I mean, how did y'all cope with that? Uh, we had to we had to change our schedule. Um, the good news is none of us got laid off, which was very nice. But what the hospital, the university, had to do was create a different type of schedule for the technicians that they did have. You know, some of our techs might have had to work in different departments just so that they can keep the number of hours. Um, there was obviously a hiring freeze um, where no one came in, but they spread out their schedules. Uh, I actually ended up working a Tuesday through Saturday um, instead of my Monday through Friday, just so that the hospital could keep their current people at the hours that they needed, Yeah, which was nice, um, of course, uh, but we didn't have students with us. We The caseload dropped dramatically. Uh, so we really just had to help out around the hospital and find as much to do as we could. The, the caseload dropped dramatically, but I assume now it's probably higher than ever. It's getting there. Um, there's still parts of the hospital that are struggling with making sure we have cage space, but this is also trickling in from all of the other hospitals around the area too that are still struggling. So if they're sending a lot of their business to the University of Florida, yes, of course, that increases the needs that they have at the university, but can we handle that right now? Some departments can, some departments can't, because it's it's still we're still trying to play catch up. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is where we're going to take our second break of the program. I want to remind listeners that this is Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM. I'm speaking today with Ashley Campos, Margaret Gonzalez, and Leandra Singleton, and we'll be back with more right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Animal Airwaves Live here on WUFTFM, our weekly hour-long show devoted to the discussion of the health and welfare of animals. I'm Dana Hill, and I'm happy to have with me here in the studio, Margaret Gonzalez, Leandra Singleton, and Ashley Campos. And we're talking today about careers in veterinary medicine, particularly uh, vet tech careers. Uh, let me ask the three of you, uh, what do you consider some personality traits, some qualities that might make one well-suited to a career in veterinary medicine, particularly as a vet tech? I would say adaptability, um, definitely, you know, caring, charismatic, uh, especially if you're in a client situation. Um, and just hardworking and being positive and always looking for the positive aspects of things and really helpful. The adaptability, because each day might be a bit different. Oh, yeah, for sure. And things can change in an instant um, all the time for everything. Yeah. What would you What would you all say? And definitely you have to be able to pay attention to detail and just multitask and be, you know, five steps ahead thinking about what you're going to be doing next. Um, I'm going to go with teamwork and resourcefulness. Um, there are many times that you need to rely on your teammates to be able to help you with a certain situation. Or um, We work so closely that sometimes you just start picking up where someone left off and not even have to speak any words, and you just know. Um, and then the resourcefulness you may be in one area of the hospital and run out of a supply or need something urgently and you're cutting syringes and taking caps off and putting connectors in and you know making it work in the meantime until you can get back to where your other supplies are and uh, yeah it's just clever and thinking quick on your feet when the need arises uh, collaboration is a big part of what y'all do mm -hmm. I mean even probably in a small practice you still need to work very well with your professional colleagues. Have y'all managed to uh, do this um, successfully or have there sometimes been challenges? Because, I mean, some, look, sometimes just somebody's having a bad day, but, uh, you know, you still have to manage to, to do the work effectively. Yeah, I think that there can de definitely be challenges. Um, I think a lot of times, though, it can stem down to just poor communication and misunderstanding or making an assumption um, and making an and acting off of that assumption. Um, and kind of what Leandro, she brought up teamwork. And another important aspect of teamwork is just being teachable as well. Um, one of my favorite sayings that I actually had an anesthesiologist tell me was you don't know what you don't know. So like, don't think you know everything about one thing 
because you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, uh, that's great. And you, something you hit on something that I was gonna ask, and uh, none of you mentioned it as a, a special uh, in particular, but surely communication skills are vital. Yes. Uh, and this is something that I've gleaned from uh, you know more than a decade of doing the show and, and talking to veterinarians and and professionals who work in uh, treating animals. The the communication is so important. And I mean, like, I'm telling you, I work kind of in a communication field, right? I do this all day, every day. Uh, but I feel like it's probably more important for the three of you than it is even for me, because you're working with different kinds of people all the time. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has different approaches to doing things. And you're also working in a very sensitive kind of profession, right? Where the way that you deliver news to somebody is more important than the way that I would deliver news to somebody. Yes. I think just thinking about all of the different people that we communicate with besides clients, um, between a student, an intern, a resident, a fellow technician, a faculty. So there's all of these different kind of people in different positions that we have to communicate with. And so you definitely have to, I wouldn't say in a way you're going to, you have to learn how to communicate differently because everybody's going to have different, is going to be receptive to different types of communication. Yeah. Um, We don't have a lot of time left, but I wonder if you all can sort of look down the road and see kind of what the future of this profession looks like. Um, Will things be easier or will things be harder? I think the future looks great, actually. Um, I think people, the public, um, you know, administration, everything, they're caring and paying attention more to animals, to pets, uh, to the people who are working with those animals and pets, you know, not just companion animals, but service animals, uh, zoological animals, wildlife. uh, So there's a lot more attention being paid towards non-human beings, pretty much. Um, So I see a a very strong push in our field to do better, be better. And more opportunities in the field, like more positions, you think? Yes, yeah. I think um, now that there's more awareness being put out to the public uh, of, you know, the things that we do, compassion fatigue and all of that, um, has made a big stride in looking forward to the future the more that you know, pet owners are educated. Um, there's more of a mutual respect that's developing that I've seen just over in the last couple of years. Um, so going forward, hopefully, yes. Uh, well, Ashley Campos, Margaret Gonzalez, Leandra Singleton, thank you all for being here and talking with me. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I think that this was good for the audience, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say thank you to Sarah Carey for her help with the program and Amanda Buckley as well. And to all of you for listening this week, I hope you will join me next time for another episode of Animal Airwaves Live. Bye-bye.